Vincent Werbeck's Derby. to introduce you, well, show you a picture of one of my friends who I've made since I've uh, come to Derby. Uh, see if it, could, if it will come up. There we go. Now, she's somebody we've got to know uh, over the time we've been here. She wouldn't identify as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. But on her Instagram this week, and I asked her if I could use it, she had uh, this kind of image of her arms like this together. And you might be able to see that on each arm, she's got, one's got the word gratium and the other word is habitus. And literally, they're Latin for um, habit and grace. And she paraphrases these uh, words as kind of an attitude of gratitude. She tells me that she finds it a helpful reminder to her um, to try and put that into practice. But why and how? And those are some of the questions I'm hoping we may be able to answer this morning. If you're new to us today, we're partway through a series on our five core principles. They um, all begin with G, and so we've helpfully named them our five Gs. That was a creative thing from Phil. He thinks that we're slightly ahead of the mobile phone companies who are going to launch 5G in the near future. But they are uh, grace and generosity and gratitude and gathers and growing. And a few weeks ago, Dan spoke to us about grace and the sense that it's God's kind of unmerited favor, God's unconditional love. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And then last week, Phil uh, did a great talk on generosity, which isn't just about money, but actually it's partly about money and kind of asked for a call to us to give, but particularly in response to all that God has given us. And so if you're on the ball, you'll work out that this morning we're going to be looking at gratitude. I would say that gratitude is something which people of all faiths and no faith would want to aspire to. In fact, over the last few weeks, I've known I've been, Phil gave me this talk to do, and I've been kind of looking for examples of it. I've been chatting to people, I've been trying to get some thoughts on what to say. And so one person I spoke to put up a picture, so it sent me a picture of this from their office, which is called the Mood Elevator. Some of you may work in the same workplace and may recognize it. But actually at the top, it has the word grateful, i.e. grateful is something you would want to aspire to. That's the sort of mood that you would want in an office. If you, the sort of person that uses e-books, I know there's probably some people that like real books. I do like real books, but they're much cheaper as e-books, and I can copy and paste them into my Evernote. But if uh, you put gratitude into Kindle, you get books like the Secret, which I know has been really popular for people. You get, words, you get books like The Gratitude Diaries, Gratitude, A Way of Life, The Lost Art of Gratitude. So it's not just kind of Christians that are talking about this. People in kind of the secular world, if you like, are talking about it. And researchers and psychologists will tell us that gratitude is good for us. And there's just a, a couple of guys that I'd like to, to mention. Jonathan Haidt, he's a social psychologist. He's somebody whose books I've read. He's a great communicator. Lots of interesting things to say. He's not a Christian. But he would say this. He would say, studies that have assigned people to perform a random act of kindness every week or to count their blessings, now that's an interesting phrase for a non-Christian, um, regularly for several weeks find small but sustained increases in happiness. So, he says it's good for us. Brené Brown, some of us may have come across Brené. I'm sure there's a few Brené Brown fans in the, in the room this, mo this morning. She's a, she, if you haven't come across her, she's famous for uh, being a TED Talk speaker. She'd done a lot of work around vulnerability and shame. She'd done lots of research, and she says this. 
Without exception, every person I interviewed who described living a joyful life or who described themselves as joyful actively practiced gratitude and attributed their joyfulness to their gratitude practice. So if you're in church for the first time this morning, if you kind of rocked up and you're not used to being here, if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, I would say that gratitude is something that is important for all of us. An attitude of gratitude is where we choose to put into action this, um, this kind of, well, this attitude of gratitude. But it's something we try to put into action and it's good for us. Now, I want to be honest with you this morning. When I usually look at what I've got to speak on, I'll kind of, there'll be a passage I've got to look on, so I'll kind of look at that, and then I'll read it, and then I'll kind of look at some commentaries on it, and I will um, begin to unpack it, and then I'll have some discussions. Then I go to my Evernote. So I store quotes and stories in Evernote. So I'm like, okay, so some of my quotes, it's not that I've got them all up here. I go out to Evernote, ah, oh, forgiveness. Yeah, here's a, here's, a, here's a kind of quote. Oh, this is something about the cross. I can find this. So I kind of go down it. Do you know, I looked at gratitude and thankfulness. I had one note out of several hundred. I had, that was the only one. And do you know, it's so poor, it didn't even make it into this morning's talk. So, I want to be really honest with you that I think that God's been really challenging me on this because I've got loads of stuff on forgiveness and the cross and what it means to be human and all that sort of stuff, but not much about gratitude. And so I think For me, this week, it's been really challenging. I'm not standing up here as somebody who's got this sorted, who kind of is really good at it. I'm going, okay, I think God's got something to do in my heart, but I'm hopeful that it will be helpful for all of us today as well. So what does God have to say about it? We're going to read a part of a letter by Paul, who wrote to a church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. It's after the Jesus bit of the story. Jesus has been alive, he's died, he's resurrected, he's ascended into heaven. And his followers are trying to work out what does it mean to be a community of followers of Jesus in a world that doesn't know him. Sounds familiar. It's getting on for 2,000 years old, but it still echoes down to us today. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, if you could turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, if you don't know where that is, the index is really helpful. Um, But also uh, on your phone, the app will say, and it'll probably say something like 2 Core. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9 Verses 12 to 15. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't have one at home, uh, we believe that reading this thing will change your life. So if you want to take one this morning, there's some just over by the pillar, you don't have to ask. We'd love to give you a Bible as a gift from us to you today. You don't have to ask about that. It's also going to come up on the screen uh, behind me. So 2 Corinthians 9, verses 12 to 15. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. If you're on the ball and were here last week, you may recognize that this carries on from what Phil was preaching on last week. You see, Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to make a collection for the church in Jerusalem. 
He said, look, these guys need you. You've promised you're going to give. Can you, can, you, can you give for their work? And in a nutshell, here Paul says, your giving, what you give, will cause gratitude in them. That will cause them to be grateful to you, but actually it's going to cause gratitude towards God. And this is where it gets interesting. Because perhaps God is new to you, perhaps you're sceptical about all of this stuff, which I totally understand. But in this letter, Paul talks about gratitude ultimately going towards God. That's where the kind of gratitude, it points upwards. Now, many of us may have heard of a guy called Jordan Peterson. If you go to a pub, if you go to get your hair cut in a barber's, you're likely to come across him. He's a, social, he's a, he's a clinical psychologist. He's quite polarizing. Some people love him. Some people don't really like him. Um, he's been famous for a number of reasons, some interviews on TV and that sort of thing. And he's quite hard to pin down whether he believes in God or not. He kind of evades the question a little bit. He talks about how we live. But I just want to show you a minute and a half clip of him having a discussion with somebody who's an atheist because the conversation moves to gratitude. And it's a really helpful thing to watch. So let's turn to the screen. And I'm much more in recent years in the habit of waking up in the morning, even if it's raining in January in England, and looking out and going, oh, and it's, it's a feeling of gratitude, not gratitude towards God or towards anybody or anything, just free-floating gratitude. That seems to have a positive consequence. I set the day up better, and it's kind of self-perpetuating. It pops up again and again. Do you again. think you can just have gratitude in general, or must gratitude always be given towards something and ultimately Well, that, that, that's a good question. That, 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 that goes back to our discussion about acting things out. Like, gratitude is something you feel towards something. And you can say, well, I don't feel it towards anything in particular. And I would say, all right, well, the diffuse nothing that you feel it towards serves in your psychological hierarchy as your equivalent of God. Uh, so, no, but it's gratitude. You know, this morning, for example, I looked out and it was so um, green. Uh, we've had frosts and it's been white the last few days and it was green this morning. And it was just gratitude to the universe, if you like. It's not really God because it's not the creator. It's not anything I can pray to. It's... I mean, I know... Why feel gratitude towards it? I don't know. He loses me slightly at one point. But I think it's a fascinating discussion. You see, it may be that you're like Susan, and you say, actually, I feel gratitude. I I don't know who to give it to, so I'll kind of give it to the universe, to nothing in particular. And yet he says, why gratitude then? And I want to therefore say that actually I believe that gratitude has to be directed towards a person. If the universe is simply random, a product of chance with nothing behind it, no purpose, no meaning, what sense does it mean to offer gratitude to a bunch of particles that didn't choose to come into existence? doesn't make sense to me at all. And I think that gratitude has to go towards a person. And so therefore, if it goes towards a person, who are we grateful to? You see, I think if we don't direct it towards God, we will create something to be grateful to. And if you read The Secret, as I understand it, it talks a lot about being thankful to the universe. But I think gratitude has to be directed towards a person. And often sermons have C.S. Lewis quotes in them, and this one is no different. But he said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
So I would say this inbuilt need for gratitude, the fact that gratitude makes us feel better, the fact that we seem to be made to give gratitude towards somebody points us towards the fact that there is somebody who needs to receive it. And that person is God. So let's say that this is true. Let's say that God exists. He's there to receive our gratitude. What do we have to be grateful for? A number of times at Werbs, I have spoken about the Bible as being a big story going from creation to new creation. I've talked about it being a six-part kind of story. If you flick on to the next slide, there we go. So creation for Israel, Jesus, church, eternity. What have we got to be thankful for? Well, if God created the universe, we've got to be thankful that it exists. We've got to be thankful that he made humanity. We've got to be thankful for the very fact that we're alive and we live in something amazing and beautiful. But you might say, Andy, the world isn't how it should be. There's all this mess. And we'd say, yeah, we know. Human beings rejected God. We walked away from him. And as a consequence, the world is not all as it should be. And we're not in relationship with God as we should be. But actually, God didn't kind of reject humanity. He still cares for them. So we've got to be thankful for that, that God just didn't leave us on our own. He picked a people, the tribe of Israel. He sent them prophets. He made a covenant relationship with them. That story becomes our story. We get to be thankful for that. And then we come to Jesus, who came to mend that broken relationship from the fall. Jesus in his death and his resurrection gives us the opportunity to know God now and in eternity. We get to be thankful for that. And then we move on to the church, which is the bit of the story we live in now. Loneliness is a massive thing in our culture. And yet as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're part of this worldwide, global, historic family. We never have to be alone. We can get to be thankful for that. It doesn't mean it's always easy, but we never have to be alone. And then one day, Susan, bless her, if you watch the whole um, interview, she's like, well, actually, life is, has no purpose. It has no meaning. So I have to create my purpose and meaning. But as Christians, we know how the story ends. One day we get to see him face to face. One day there'll be no more suffering, no more crying, no more death, no more tears. That's what we get to look forward to if we know and love Jesus. And we get to be thankful for that. And I just think that is incredible. This whole story from creation to new creation, there are things to be thankful for. And as we read it, as we learn it, as we live it, I believe that will overflow into an attitude of gratitude. Unsurprisingly, the Bible is full of prayers and songs of praise. Psalm 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Incredible songs and poems of praise to God. Jesus sets an example of giving thanks. When, do you remember that story where he feeds the 5,000? What does he do before he does it? He, he gives thanks to God for the food. Jesus, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, God, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. He gives thanks to God. Jesus, we do it every now and then at words. We break bread and we share wine together. As Jesus did that with his friends together in the room, he breaks bread, he, they share wine, and he gives thanks to God. And across the New Testament, there are verses all over the place calling us to be thankful because of who God is and all that he's done. 
Do you know, interestingly, I discovered just in this last week that ungratefulness in one list is described as being sinful. Really surprised me, but it was there amongst all sorts of other things we might highlight more often. A lack of gratitude is highlighted in 2 Timothy as being sinful. But you see, when we recognize all that God has done for us, it will overflow into gratitude. I think one thing I'd want to say is that there is a danger that our gratitude is linked to circumstances. Some of us may have seen in the last few weeks the protests in Hong Kong. There's, a, there's some pictures of what's going on with them. And uh, why, are they, why are they doing it? Well, basically, mainland China, you may know that the church in China is growing incredibly. It's a massive, vast church, but it's underground, a lot of it, because they're persecuted. Some of them will get thrown into prison. They're allowed to say certain things. They're not allowed to say other things. And in Hong Kong, the government were trying to put this law into place that they were going to say, we can extradite you back to the mainland, put you on kind of trial over there. And so people in Hong Kong were a bit nervous about this because they've got quite a lot of freedom in Hong Kong, much more freedom than in mainland China. And what's happened is they've begun to protest about it. And do you know what has become the song of the protest movement? Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Thousands of people singing it. Now, there are political reasons why it's a wise idea, because in Hong Kong, they can't come against a religious movement. They've also found it does subdue the police a little bit. If the police are coming at you with tear gas and you're kind of singing nice songs at them, they may be more gentle. But actually, it was started by Christians because they know and believe that God is sovereign. And regardless of the circumstances, hallelujah means literally about praising God the Lord. And so it's not just linked to their circumstances. They're saying, God, even if this happens, we are going to praise you. It's an incredible example of our sisters and brothers on the other side of the globe living out an attitude of gratitude. Now, I don't think that we're in line for that here. I don't think there's going to be that kind of crackdown in the near future. I do think things will get harder for us as Christians in the West. But actually, it forces us to think, is my attitude just linked to how my life should be? Is it just linked to the fact that, you know, if I go into the into and I see the, the, the mannequins behind the glass, or I look at the, the kind of the posters, or I buy these products, is my level of gratitude linked to having that kind of lifestyle? Because that's what the adverts tell us. They say, if you just get this phone, if you just drive this car, if you just get this house, if you just go on this holiday, then you can be thankful. That's the kind of the image of the good life that they try and sell us. And yet for Christians, our vision of the good life is directed towards Jesus. And therefore, it's not based on our circumstances. Now, that is incredibly challenging. I find that really challenging. I'm a kind of a, if you put some glass, some water in a glass and it's almost up to the top, I'll probably tell you it's half empty. I'm that kind of person. For some of us, I know it may be almost near the bottom, and they'll tell us, well, it's, there's loads of water in there. It depends what sort of person you are, but actually, it can't just be based on our circumstances. It's based on the person of Jesus and all who he's done. You see, at Worthes, we want to be an authentic community, which is Christ-centered. And I believe that the more we're Christ-centered, the more we'll recognize what we've got to be grateful for. Because the Christian walk isn't about what we have to do, it's about what God has already done and our response to him. So practically, just some practical things. How could we cultivate an attitude of gratitude at Worbs? Well, Brené Brown is really helpful in this. She talks about gratitude journals, which I 
think I understand is kind of making lists daily of things we've got to be thankful for. Maybe in our prayers, beginning with thanks. As we met before the service, very often we start with prayers of thanks. In the evening service, we say, what do we have to be thankful to God for? We've seen the big story, but there's also things that are going on day by day. You know, do we have running water in our house? Do we have clothes to wear? Do we have food to eat? Do we have family around us? Do we have friends? Do we have a church we can be part of? All of those things and more for many of us will be true. But some will say may just be a few of them. Maybe we could read the Psalms of praise like Psalm 100. Maybe we could look back over the week and go, God, where have you been involved in my week? Even in the small way. So encourage us to, and it's something I'm going to have to work on myself because, as I said, I had one note in Evernote on gratitude. You see, I think, though, if we do this, if we begin to put this into action more and more, we might come to the same conclusion as this great theologian. Piglet noticed that even though he had a very small heart, it could hold a rather large amount of gratitude. You see, I want you to picture a Christ-centered community of people that are so captivated and grateful for all that God has done for them that an attitude of gratitude becomes who they are. And then as they scatter, they transform the city and beyond. Father God, just as we survey that big story, there is so much to be thankful for. God, thank you for our brothers and sisters in Hong Kong. In the midst of fear of what might happen, God, demonstrating they're going to praise you in spite of their circumstances. Father, we ask that it would become something that we live out, both as individuals and as a church. Father, that you might help us to see more and more in the small things and in the big stuff. All we have to be grateful for. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.